0: This podcast is intended for listeners that are 18 years or older. Explicit language, sensitive content, and views that are objectionable to some listeners may be present in the podcast. As such, listener discretion is strongly advised. Please read our podcast terms and conditions before listening to Up the Rabbit Hole.
1: Yay, welcome back to Up the Rabbit Hole with a the sex therapist. This is Dr. Corey Harushkin and I'm my lovely accomplice here. Brandy, you keep giving me these smiley looks of surprise when I say that's what. What do you want me to say? The other, the oh, other you side. Call me
0: lovely. That's so nice.
1: You generally are.
0: <laughs> I
1: try. So today back. we have the topic of sexual compulsion, and so we have a bunch of clients uh, or people online that have sent us some questions and issues that they've had regarding kind of compulsive sexual behavior, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about that. What is a compulsion or an addiction in a little bit more detail than we did prior? And so why don't we start off with our joke? And we have our two. Uh, Brandy's got one lined up and and I have mine. And I guess my first one would be, so what's the difference between erotic and kinky? I don't know. Erotic is with a feather. Kinky's with the whole chicken.
0: (laughs) So good. So good. And we're mixing it up because I get to tell one today. I'm very excited. I looked this up special. So here's mine. Are you ready? Never. Okay. An old woman walked into a dentist's office, took off all of her clothes and spread her legs. The dentist said, I think you have the wrong room where the old woman said, you put in my husband's teeth last week. Now you have to remove them.
1: <laughs> Good image for that one.
0: <laughs> Never dull. Never doll around here. I like it.
1: Okay, so, Brandon, you want to start with our first question that we have?
0: Absolutely. First question is, I have a high sexual addiction. I never feel satisfied, and I have sex with different women. My question is, how could I stop myself from being so sexually addicted, and should I not be in a relationship since I am so addicted to sex?
1: I think probably the best way to start off this one is to talk a little bit about the term addiction. Yeah, absolutely. And so right now, I mean, we, when we talk about sexual behavior or compulsive sexual behavior, a lot of individuals call it sex addiction, but it doesn't really fulfill the requirements of an addiction because it's an internal system and people will fight about that one. And so normally the terms that we commonly use could be like a out of control, sexual behavior, sexual compulsion, could be sexual obsession, even hypersexuality. And so as a result, people kind of say, I have an addiction and therefore it's out of control and therefore I can't control myself. And there's some truth to that. And the chemicals in the brain work very similar, but they're all naturally occurring in our system already. And so it's that's why we kind of want to qualify that difference. Maybe we should qualify a little bit more. So out of control sexual behavior is kind of what it says. It's when a behavior that is sexual is just out of someone's control. sexual compulsion would mean that need to do something. It's kind of related to like OCD, obsessive compulsive behaviors, where there's a a need to repetite it or you go into anxious response. And so by being able to do the behavior, it reduces your anxiety. Now, particularly with sex, because we have a whole bunch of chemicals, we can talk a little bit more about that. The endorphins on that calm yourself down. So it's almost like self-soothing or self-medicating, allowing to reduce that anxiety so I guess it's like your own anti-anxiety medication done internally for free. Sexual obsession would be just thinking about it versus a compulsion, which would be the doing it or doing something about it. And I think for us as a psychologist or as a therapist, when we define an issue, it's usually when it starts to cause problems in your life, your job, your health, and that's for us how we define it. Hypersexual is the last one. And the term hypersexual ultimately means, and it's kind of the norm would be anything above about seven times per week would be equivalent to the term of hypersexual in terms of frequency. So if you're masturbating seven times a week or having sex seven times a week compared to the norm, you're in the hypersexual, which may not be problematic, but it kind of you know may raise a question, what's going on? Because a lot of people may get hooked into it and some people have no problem unhooking or it not being a problematic behavior. Brandy, anything you want to add to that one?
0: Yes, actually, I did some digging around, I guess I like to research some things and I found a really interesting published from Leeds of 1999, but what they were speaking of in regards to addiction, we don't know if this is addiction or not, but they were speaking about attachment style and that insecure attachment style 95% of sexual addicts have an insecure attachment style. So when I was reading this and saying that, that this person never feels satisfied and they're having sex with different women, I'm really wondering, are they able to attach in a secure way and able to actually have that type of relationship that they're looking for?
1: Yes, I have seen that quite commonly where that insecure attachment leads individuals to seek attachment or seek attachment through sex and therefore you can become dependent on that to get that validation to feel secure and it ultimately doesn't work if that's the only kind of attachment that you're looking for because you're also getting self-medicated in this process or medicated and it becomes just a a downward spiral commonly i'll see i think one of the questions later on kind of actually hints at some of that stuff too yes
0: it does later on ones And then the other thing they were asking, should they not be in a relationship since they're so addicted to sex? Again, we don't know if it's an addiction, but I don't think that rules out being in a relationship. SAA is a great option. It's similar to AA does 12-step type of program for sex addiction, if if that really what it is. But I would really have to suggest finding out if this is an addiction, a compulsion, hypersexuality, because a lot of people who are hypersexual think they're addicted when in fact they are not.
1: Right. And again, the term in the sex therapy field is we've tried to eliminate that term of sex addiction because it doesn't apply. And so that's why we're moving into the compulsion out of control behavior, problematic behavior. And so that's, that's one of the interesting kind of debates or disputes that's going on in the, in the sex therapy field is what do we call it? Because historically it was commonly termed as sex addiction. And you know, again, it, it doesn't fulfill that. So there's people arguing that. Don't call it addiction otherwise. So yeah, that's just a playful thing to realize that there's a challenge even within the field on what we're calling things, because, you know, what might be normal still could for some people might be problematic for other.
0: Absolutely. So I don't think that, I mean, a relationship isn't off the table, I would not suggest, would you?
1: I mean, this is about boundaries. Like, I think that's one of the ways you're going to probably be able to work through some of this issue is be able to have a relationship, have an attachment, learn how to set boundaries regarding sexuality. As long as the other person can have a healthy attachment and a healthy boundaries, then you can start now working through some of that issue. So you're not just focusing on the next fix or that high level of novelty or taboo, which is commonly what people chase is the... There's no end to that high end or the ceiling of that.
0: Absolutely. So it's really, I think, learning how to connect with another person as opposed to just, like you said, feeding the fix. Okay, number two, lengthy, but here we go. Since I can remember, I have been masturbating. I do it at least three times a day. I've been told that's a lot. I feel the need to always do it, even when doing things like chores and or exercising. I've tried stopping, but can't last three days. I have a habit of making sexual jokes and referencing sex, and I've started having sex with my boyfriend a few months ago, and I've noticed even though he compliments me on how I feel, and he obviously enjoys the sex, it's not as pleasurable for me as when I masturbate, as if I'm numb to his touch, so I feel somewhat bored. I'm worried I could end up addicted to sex or ruining my relationship over my highly sexual behavior. What are the steps I need to take to overcome my addiction?
1: Well, we have this dynamic again. I love this term addiction because we get our butt whipped when we even talk about that. But I think like right now, the frequency seems to be quite high because, you know, even after two and a half days, they've hit the hypersexuality and they're doing this at least three times a day. It sounds like they're hooked. Now, When I say hooked, I'm going to talk maybe a little bit about some of the chemicals that get released in this whole process. And so there's like a good handful or or more of chemicals. And most people don't talk about this. The first one that people tend to chase would be that endorphin. So during an orgasm, you get your endorphin high and an endorphin hit. And that's kind of like our homegrown version of, you know, heroin, much smaller in terms of intensity, But typically what they found is with your endorphin-based chemicals, they'll last in your system for about three days. And so people can ride on that high for three days. And that's why you'll find that some people after three days start getting into some of those withdrawal symptoms or similar psychologically and or even physically, depending on how much you're doing. And so this is common. What I'll see is my individuals who can't pass that two or three day mark because their body starts craving it going through some of those psychological and or physiological withdrawals. So that's, that's kind of the one. So endorphins. The other big one is a dopamine. And dopamine's that pleasure response. It's the feel good, want to do it again chemical. And you get dopamine release just thinking about something pleasurable. Never mind about actually having an orgasm, which kind of gives you another big boost. So the, the issue with dopamine is it makes you more impulsive to go get the thing that you want that gives you pleasure. So the more you use your dopamine and and this kind of dynamic, the more you have less control of your ability to manage your behavior, to go get this fix, that thing that's pleasurable. And in terms of reinforcers, sex and food are your two top outside of external chemicals. We also have a few other ones. Oxytocin, anything you look at, you kind of during an orgasm or anything, you release oxytocin, which is your bonding chemical. So you bond to whatever you look at when you're having pleasure response, that touch and or an orgasm. There's some research also supporting vasopressin, which is pair bonding. You, You lock into that thing that you are looking at when you're having sex or an orgasm. And so there's that one. We have adrenaline, which fires everything up a little bit stronger. And even serotonin. Serotonin gets released during an orgasm, which is kind of like that antidepressant chemical in your system. And so a lot of the antidepressants respond to your serotonin by improving mood. But one of the side effects is kind of a short-term decrease in sex drive. And so people kind of self-medicate through this cluster of neurotransmitters and chemicals and hormones to kind of feel better or self-medicate. So there's your, all the chemicals that you're fighting with. And with dopamine, for it to unhook from that powerful pull, it could take six to eight weeks. I've even heard of cases four months and, or even up to a year, if you're a high user of that dopamine kind of type of behavior, dopamine is commonly seen with amphetamines. So you'll see it stimulates that response pattern.
0: So glad you brought up the oxytocin because the first thing I thought when I was reading this is if they're watching porn while they're masturbating, it doesn't say, but if they are that oxytocin, if they're bonding to uh, screen
1: and the visual um, images. Yeah.
0: Yes. And typically what happens is you, you kind of hit a threshold and then, okay, well, you know, just normal man, woman, porn is a little bit boring. I'm going to up the ante. So now we're looking at threesomes. Well, the neck is boring. Then we up the ante again. So it, one singular person being your the boyfriend that this person is sleeping in with may not be enough of an ante for this other person to really get excited anymore because the ante may be so high from whatever it is that they're watching.
1: You bet it's bigger, better, faster, stronger, and more taboo. And the more novel you get, the more taboo it is, the more it fires up and people keep chasing that response because their body satiates it becomes yeah no big deal
0: absolutely and so the boyfriend may not be may not be a high enough threshold
1: for her Pam. well the other thing that she mentions like when i masturbate nothing competes with masturbation in terms of technique like you have immediate response to what works for yourself and so no one else can read your mind or be able to kind of commonly Use that technique that works for you. And if you've been doing it this frequency, you've mastered this ability on knowing what works for yourself. And so to do that and or have someone else to be able to have that level of skill is unrealistic.
0: You might need to communicate that with your partner as
1: well. Yeah. So, I mean, with her intent, it sounds like, yeah, there's a high chance of ruining the relationships. If she's, it's, she's really running for sex rather than about the relationship.
0: So when a Kate ta- talks about steps that she needs to take to overcome the addiction, I would stop Matt. I'd go cold Turkey. Yeah.
1: And I'm some happy. people have a hard time doing that because yeah. the, the fun thing about this is you carry your, <laughs> your fix around with you, wherever you go, yeah. and, you know, you can walk into a bathroom, you can go anywhere because you're carrying it with you. And the, the process for working through it is similar to an addiction, is we're either going to go cold turkey or we're going to wean down off of it because some people just can't. There's going to be some kicking and screaming in this process. And so if we can do it from three times a day, down to two times a day, down to one time a day, down to you know every second day and weaning it down, if that's kind of having more of an issue. But some people need to go cold turkey and go through that dynamic. And that's kind of what works for them. Another group of individuals need to wean down until they get it better managed.
0: So, I mean, those are the
1: two big ones that I can think of. Sure. My, my general rule is that for me to even take a peek at what's going on, I need to see what their baseline is, which means a minimum of six to eight weeks. I usually say six weeks is my start, my minimum. Six weeks, no porn, no masturbation, no sex, to watch what happens during that process to see how they kind of do it. Can they manage their behavior? Can they hit my baseline mark? And some people unhook during that period of time because they have motivation. Some people can't pass day three. And so then we have to look at alternative options. There are some medications that can be used to cool down that sex drive. We talked about serotonin. So there's some, a lot of the antidepressants that are SSRIs are commonly used to help cool down that sexual functioning or cool down that sex drive in kind of a medication way. And so some individuals have chosen to go on that to just help crutch them into unhooking from this process
0: and some of those SSRIs are better than others
1: and they do different things each SSRI some are responsible for orgasm some are for arousal some are for interest so they all kind of run some different ones and some of them there's a wonderful meta-analysis that they did on all of these which maybe we can talk about next time that just kind of explores those differences
0: yeah we have that research
1: as so- for us sex nerds
0: yeah <laughs> So you are sex nerds. I'll take it. On to the next question. My girlfriend recently brought up the fact that I've been browsing sex sites and communicating with past sexual partners with the possibility of revisiting old times. I agree I have a problem and I'm willing to seek help. Finding time to seek help is an issue. Well, first and foremost, I don't know what the, what the question is, but I'm going to tell you here at Insight, we're open seven days a week. You can reach us face-to-face, online or over the phone. I tell you, we try to make it as easy as possible to come see us. Or you can write in and we can answer the question like this person
1: did. Right. When, when someone's saying find in time to see help, my, my first thought would be, it doesn't really sound like you want to fix this issue <laughs> too yes. bad because what's your priorities, right? And so if the consequences aren't bad enough, people tend to kind of surf that dynamic as long and as possible as they can until it hits either the wall or or there's a big enough problem that it's like it forces them to actually get help. By that time, sometimes it's picked up so much speed that it's become out of control again. Here, I guess the issue to me is, I guess you can have a problem with it, but then I'm also looking at breach of trust or agreement. So what is the agreement within the relationship? What are the boundaries? Is your partner okay with it? Or is it under certain circumstances that they're okay with it? If you're visiting, revisiting old times, it sounds like you're living some of that in the past. What's stopping you from making your own new memories with the current partner. And so that's some stuff to explore if you would ultimately get in or see someone regarding some of these issues.
0: Absolutely. But just so you do know, there are a lot of options that we have here to help you out.
1: To me, i playfully, how long are you spending on browsing those sex sites and communicating with past sexual partners? You could be spending, I have clients that will spend eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day doing that. And they say they don't have time. Well, of course they don't, because forty-hour weekend watching porn or doing that stuff is really not going to give you a lot of time outside of some sleep and eating, right? Nope.
0: Got to figure out what the priorities are. Awesome. Next question. I'm not sure if I'm a sex addict. <laughs> Just think this word gets thrown out all over. Oh, around.
1: it's it's very common, and that's the that's the challenge in this whole field. Is people come in? Oh, I think I'm a sex addict. It's like, okay, we got to get to terms at least properly defined, because people. What I find is when people say an addiction, and there's from an addiction model. An addiction is sometimes used an excuse. Oh, well, I have an addiction. Okay, well, so I, I don't have to be responsible for my behavior now. And people will even come in with couples where, oh, my husband ha- is an alcoholic, and therefore he can't control his behavior, and therefore I'm giving him a lot of leeway because I know that's a mental or you know a disorder versus a behavioral management approach, which is even if he is addicted, there's behavior stuff that we can do to unhook him from alcohol, but from sex. It's a little different. There's no external substance, right? There's, there's ways to manage this, to unhook from this. And you're not going to be going through likely the same levels of withdrawal symptoms. I mean, I guess you could, depending on how much you're doing, as you would from a substance.
0: True. So we get this a lot, but it's, it's always find it fascinating, you know, people coming in saying that they're a sex addict. I always go through the criteria of addiction and really see if they're a sex addict. Anyways, question being, I'm not sure if they're a sex addict or being compulsive, Either way, my behavior is affecting my life background. My husband cheated on me in September. Since then, I've had sex with 12 men. Last night was the first night I've been alone. The husband has moved out and he had the kids. I had a hookup lined up, but I got drunk and blacked out. I'm in a free fall. When I'm alone again, I'm scared that if I don't call a guy to come over, I'll get drunk again and black out. All of my free time is spent getting my next fix, whether it's alcohol or sex. When I have my kids, though, I don't feel the compulsion to look for either.
1: Sounds like a few things to me. I mean, it sounds like there's some grief in here. There sounds like some some revenge, possibly. Lots of self-medicating for this process. And interesting. Trauma. Could be some trauma, depending on what they've seen. And some attachment stuff, I'd say, because there's either some insecure attachment or dependent attachment. And as soon as she gets her kids... And she kind of smarts up because she knows she has to be responsible for kids. And so she can manage that behavior. And so that's one of the ways we kind of tell whether it's, I'll call it, you know, that ad- addiction or out of control. It, it becomes in control as soon as you have a responsibility. Once you don't have that responsibility and you go back to that, it says you're not actually really hooked as much as you think you are. Because you can manage your behavior when you need to. Your full addiction style you know, or out of control means no, no, it's it's a full free fall, you have the kids, and we're still going to go do that and leave the kids at home or, or bring someone over, they just kind of they don't care about anything else, but that fix or that focus.
0: That's the thing I came up with is maybe they're bored. I mean, if they
1: you, don't have any hobbies, don't have any life outside of their kids or the relationship, and they were, you know, de- relationally dependent, then that is their life. And so, yes, that's a common, I think, issue that we see working with individuals when they don't have anything else but this, they rely on, you know, quick fix or that, that pattern.
0: Absolutely. But I do agree that it sounds like a possible self-medicating, whether it's for grief, whether it's a trauma response. I mean, cheating, some people can interpret that as trauma. So that alcohol use or drug use to self-medicate is trauma response. And so I really wondered what was going on because obviously when she has the children, there's not an issue. So I really wonder.
1: Yeah. My first gut from here, this limited information would be self-medicating avoidance escape that insecure. Like it does not sound like compulsive because there's no history typically with compulsive behavior. You will see a history of that with either I OCD or that dynamic. And so individuals who have OCD have a higher likelihood of doing this in that compulsive behavior. And the difference with the compulsive behaviors, they don't want to do it. They feel compulsed to do it, to reduce that anxiety versus your hypersexual who want to do it and are chasing that fix. And so, you know, the behavior may look identical, but the underlying pattern and root is quite different.
0: Well, and compulsion, she'd be doing that with the children or without the children. So good question, though. But part of me is like, is this a little bit of tit for tat?
1: Yeah, that's why I said there's that little bit of revenge. So it's like, well, it's probably a 12 for one if he had an affair and cheated. So I guess it depends on how much. But yeah, there's that. I've seen that commonly in couple counseling, too, where you did this once. So now I'm going to do it 10 times to get back at you. And then they feel slighted. And therefore, this is emotionally how they feel to balance it out, which tends to cause a lot more problems, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, those are the things that I would most certainly look at. Again, more information probably needed and uh, move forward. That's where I'd go anyways. Next question. I want to break the sexual patterns I have. I have urges almost daily, where I could be sexualizing something not sexual, feel horny out of the blue, or I use sex to regulate my feelings quickly. Then I have short episodes where I get completely lost. This past weekend, I spent 25 hours on online sex, which resulted in two sleepless nights and ending up dehydrated and food deprived. When I'm done, I just feel dirty and I want to leave it behind. The things I get off to are also becoming more and more extreme and I'm becoming more impulsive and loosening up boundaries. How can I get myself to really stop?
1: Well, this is sounding exactly like the stuff we were talking about. And this is a natural response to your dopamine response and that fix and that satiating. And so what I find a lot of people have is in order to be able to unhook from this, you need an external party commonly because doing it by yourself, when you have your computer, when you have that, it's it's kind of like it's in front of you and asking the you know the drug addict or the meth addict or the alcohol, like hey, well, we have the stuff right in front of you. It's going to just take a little bit of impulsivity to go there. There's no one monitoring it. There's no accountability. And so I commonly encourage people to get in a third party to either help monitor their computer, put a lock on their computer. There's some, you know, like NetNanny, there's some software to help lock that out to be able to unhook just long enough to start getting some of that control and decrease that impulsivity. And that, again, is going to be some kicking and screaming, you know, and that looks differently for everyone. And be aware that that's going to happen. And that's natural in this kind of re-strengthening of your willpower as that kind of comes back and the dopamine kind of starts to cool down in your response.
0: Agreed. I think SAA would also be an option here. Like you were speaking of the third party, when you enter any type of 12-step program, you have like a mentor person. So if you feel the urge, you can call them. If you feel down and the one thing you want to do is go watch porn or do online sex you've got someone that you can connect with that might be able to talk you through that moment and can be really helpful as well it just keeps you
1: accountable
0: accountable yep absolutely so saa could really be quite helpful in this instance or just getting a mentor in some description
1: yeah now you bring up saa like there's actually a few of the aa kind of foundation stuff because there's saa There's SA, there's SLA, which is Sex and Love Addicts. There's uh, RCA, which is Recovering Couples, I think. So there's a bunch of programs that uh, cater to different nuances. Like SA is a lot more strict in terms of the rules. SAA is a little bit more flexible in terms of some of the how they define celibacy in that area. And so we'll put that on our website. I think we have some of those resources for the different support groups. Realize that the support group is not therapy, but it can be used very well to help support you through the issue. But with any skill set or any kind of resource, it could also be used to be taken advantage of. So if there's a bunch of individuals in that program that have the same issue with you, again that there's a higher chance that, the risks may occur. So be aware of that and make sure you're getting a mentor or support person to help you keep grounded in this process. Should you decide to use some of those kind of the S-SA model?
0: We also speakers. have uh, pod- podcasts. So sex addiction podcasts, which can come in helpful thing, the sex addicts recovery podcast, getting real about sex addiction, secret life. I mean, There's a whole bunch of stuff on podcasts if you want to listen to something, which can be helpful as well. You just put it on. It's on YouTube. It's on a whole bunch of, I mean, I got, what, 50 of them in front of me right now. So a podcast is always helpful if you want to listen to that.
1: And A lot um, of online resources too, uh, Recovery Nation, depending if there's some that are more Christian foundation versus kind of non-religious based. We have a big list of these. I can forward these to Julia. She can post them up. Mine's a little bit outdated, but it it keeps changing because some of the accountability software could be changing every month and they move up in priority. I have some good books and resources for uh, Patrick Carnes and Out of Control Sexual Behavior are the two main authors in this area. I met them when we were at one of the ASEC conferences and so they have a good foundation on that. The workbooks, uh, Facing the Shadow, Out of the Shadows is one, Cybersex Unhooked, these are some good workbooks that kind of take you through some of that accountability and understanding of self. And so I encourage a lot of those. And again, taking peek at what would be a good accountability software, because that requires usually to give a passcode to someone else so that you don't have access to some of that material, but you still have a safety net to unhook it if you need to go look at something. Some of the accountability software locks down issues, depends on how strict you put the requirements. Oh, yes. There's a lot of support out there. i push some stuff for Julia to hear some resources, workbooks, podcasts. Another good book that I like is also Your Brain on Porn, and it just helps people understand some of the complexities of the biochemistry that runs. They also have a website, and so that's another good resource that I like. But we'll get that stuff out to you so that you can get the help that you need.
0: Absolutely. Takeaways from today's episode. What are your takeaways today, Dr. Harushka?
1: Main takeaways are understanding that, I guess, the difference between what we call a sex addiction and out-of-control sexual behavior or hypersexuality, because people cluster all those together. And, you know, I've had people going, oh, I'm a sex addict because I've had sex once a month. Or they looked at porn once a month and they were accused of being a sex addict by their partner. And I've had other clients come in going, yeah, I have like sex three to five times a day. That's normal, right? That's what's going on. And it's just like, well, how do we want to define normal? Is this problematic? So this is the stuff that we really get into when we're looking at that. Understand the biochemistry of sex. If you don't understand the biochemistry of sex, it's prey. And so it will control you rather than you managing it. That's a little bit of the stuff that I want people to also be aware of. And then look at the under dynamics of what's going on. Is this a coping mechanism? Is this a grief response? Is there attachment issues? These are common things or even trauma response, like you mentioned. These are all those things that can be related to this. And sometimes even stuff from your past, his history of sexual abuse can now, it can be bringing up, and then people kind of use this to self-medicate and go forward. Brandy, anything you on yours? Yes.
0: Yeah. Just, you know, realizing that if there's a compulsion, an addiction, what have you, that it's going to be hard to a lot of times unhook. And that you need to be able to give yourself a little bit of grace or, you know, in any 12 step programs called like relapse. And so it may not be easy going, there's going to be kicking, there's going to be screaming, it's going to be difficult to really let go of that the feel good neurotransmitter that everyone's chasing. So just to really give yourself some grace and to get some outside support that can help you through this difficult time, I think is important as well.
1: We're looking at healthy sexual behavior. This does not mean stop permanently, right? Because I want to help some Support healthy sexuality but this is about the unhooking process and we have to start reintegrating healthy sexuality into this rather than the unhealthy behaviors that might be causing problems and it's okay. a fine line sometimes because people don't know what that really is it really looks and that's absolutely. why it's also important to have that third party to give you an you know an objective perspective
0: yeah absolutely it's someone who's coming from a healthy sexual background <laughs> let's put that out there
1: Yes, that that's the one of the key requirements, I think. It's like, oh, my friend who says I should be doing it more. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> or also, you know, some people with a with a strong background in religion, just the exact opposite, don't do it near as much, or just as an example.
1: Yeah, there's there's lots of excitement in our job.
0: There is. But we certainly appreciate everyone listening. Thank you so very much.
1: And take care, guys, and have a good week until we talk to you next.